someone to be around you. Someone to sit down and pour you short chew. But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Japan Distilled Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording in my booze closet in Tokyo and beaming in from Fukuoka, Japan, as always, is my good friend and partner in crime, Stephen Lyman. We're both certified shochu and awamori professionals. We're both published authors, and we both have a soft spot for the Japanese expression motainai. Motainai can probably be best translated as wasteful and carries with it the attendant concept of recycling, reusing, avoiding waste in general, and making sure that nothing goes in the bin, basically. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for more than a decade, and we are extremely excited to talk with you today about Kastori Shochu. Stephen, how you doing? I'm doing well, Christopher, as always. And as I seem to say at the beginning of almost every episode, I'm excited for this topic. Kastori Shochu is an underappreciated style, I think. And I, I'm excited to share it with people. It is certainly underappreciated. I think it's also has partly to do with the fact that it's just not really exported all that much. And even within Japan, it's kind of a local phenomenon. It's a regional thing. It's something that a brewery distillery will put out, but it doesn't travel very far mm-hmm. in many cases. So it's a uh, uh, hyper-localized part of the shochu world, I guess maybe is one way to look at it. But we can tie kastori shochu into this concept of motainai, I think. I think that mm-hmm. the act of making kastori shochu avoids the accusation of doing something that is wasteful. And maybe that a good way to seg into this, or let's let's uh, bring it back and give it some context here, at least why, why would we want to talk about this in this way? What do you do in your life? I feel like I'm your, your dad or something. What do you do <laughs> in your life, Stephen? <laughs> helps you to avoid being motainai. Yeah. Uh, having lived in New York City, I didn't own a car for over a decade. Okay. And I rode my bicycle rather than taking public transportation. And I, uh, probably 80% of the waste that came out of my apartment when I was living there was recyclable. So really, really as small, I guess, footprint as I could make on the environment, uh, for the most part, obviously I was traveling internationally and doing other things that weren't necessarily good for the environment, but it's something that's been on my mind for a long time. And so when I first heard about Kastori Shochu, I kind of got excited about it because it is this way of, of not wasting, uh, things. But how about you, Christopher? Um, how do you contribute to the environment? I guess it's it's kind of baked into or was beat into who I am. I mean, I'm from Vermont. I'm a Vermonster. Uh, Bristol, Vermont, we have a horse-drawn carriage picking up our recycling. No kidding. It's a remarkable sight and sound. First thing in the morning, you hear the clop, clop, clop on the asphalt. And these two gigantic horses are pulling a, a 
carriage with big ass wheels on it and a couple of people jump off the back and run over towards your house and pick up the recycling and throw it into the appropriate space on that big sleigh a sleigh with wheels nearly and then trots off down the down the street to the next house that has put their recycling out that sort of thing i guess is it's very vermont and it's very bristol vermont please tell me it's on youtube (laughs) i want to see this i'm sure it is i'm sure it is well maybe we'll try and find it and put it in the show notes if we can if we can find it i know i've photographed it before but i'm not sure where the photo is but it is it's always pretty early in the morning, probably before seven, and you hear that clop, clop, clop coming down the asphalt down the street. It's pretty funny. And then if you haven't put the recycling out, it's a mad dash because you've got like 80 to 90 seconds to get the bags out there on the front lawn. But I guess in addition to that, yeah, I still don't own a car. And last year I made the decision to minimize the number of plastic pet bottles that I purchase. And I have now a a home, one of the machines for injecting CO2 into water so that I can make my own sparkling. And that's been huge. And I go through a lot of that. And I probably save close to 150 plastic bottles a month by doing that. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of soda you've been drinking. Yeah. A lot of spark. Yeah. A lot of club. Cool. So let's tie this back into Kastori Shochu again, as I said, we would before Motainai, to use that word again, kastori shochu, the act of creating kastori shochu, or kasu, which is the lees, the sake lees, and tori, which is basically taking out or using or pulling, or there's many ways to translate it, using the sake lees to make shochu, this in and of itself avoids that whole wastefulness boogaboo. And kastori shochu, is made from sake lees, as I said before, and sake lees are the solids that are left over after the sake is pressed to extract extract the alcohol. But before we dive in and really get into the thick of things, if you have been enjoying the show, then please tell like-minded friends and families and drink fans and other nerds around the world about Japan Distilled. As always, The ratings and reviews are incredibly helpful to Japan Distilled, and it's primarily because they will attract the attention of more listeners, and it will help us to spread the word of these beautiful spirits to a wider audience. So, yoroshiku onegaishimasu. Yes, ratings and reviews are really important, and we really appreciate them. But let's get into today's topic, kasutori shochu. As Christopher said, this is uh, made from the sake lees or the leftover solids after sake production. And to set context for those of you who uh, may not be that familiar with sake, sake is a brewed beverage like a beer. It's essentially, it's often called a rice wine, but it's almost more of a rice beer. And again, like shochu and awamori, it's made with koji to sacrifice the rice to extract the sugars uh, from the grains. And then in a multiple parallel fermentation process, the yeast and the koji work together to create the sake. And when you've finished, you have probably 18 to 20, 21% alcohol brew, and then that is pressed. And so essentially you put the the fermentation, all of it into, uh, there's different methods to press, but you basically have the liquid come out of these bags or these different types of semi-permeable membranes to extract the sake. The liquid that comes out is the sake. 
And then what's left in those bags is the kasu, the sake lees. And those lees have residual alcohol in them. And so you can then distill to make kasutori uh, shochu. Now, if you want to learn more about uh, the differences between sake and shochu, please go back to episode 10, which was called The Essential Differences Between Sake and Shochu. I actually, and I'm sure this is true for you as well, started out drinking sake well before I ever was introduced to shochu. So when I drank kastori shochu for the first time, because it's made from sake lees, it was pretty easy for me to get. I understood it immediately. And I think the same is probably going to be true for anybody who likes sake, anybody who has become familiar with and become a fan of rice shochu. Kastori shochu is great because it's kind of that middle ground. It is a spirit, but it's got a lot of the ginjo qualities of sake left in it, definitely depending on the sake lees that it was made from. If it's made from a dai ginjo sake lees, then it's going to have a lot of that dai ginjo tropical fruit going on, maybe a little bit of yogurt. A lot of those uh, esters are going to find their way into the shochu as well, and that's a lot of fun. And it's one reason for sake drinkers to give kastori shochu a shot. Uh, would you say that's probably true? I think that's absolutely true. When I introduce sake drinkers to shochu, I like to have a kastori available uh, because it is so familiar, you get a lot of the same aroma characteristics. It just tends to be almost a bone dry sake with a different mouthfeel. Yeah, that's a good uh, way to put it. Yeah, I like that. But the the reason for making kastori shochu was not to, of course, make a drier <laughs> type of sake. Right? There was a there were more utilitarian reasons for making kastori shochu, were there not? At least historically. That's right. In fact, it was back in the 1600s when the Japanese recognized that the sake lees had value in that they, they were nutritious. There was still something to be gained from using those lees again. And there was actually an agricultural guide that recommended using the lees for rice cultivation as a fertilizer uh, because of the nutrients that were available in the lees. The problem is that the alcohol, the residual alcohol in the lees are damaging to the roots of the crops and can be toxic to the soil. So, you could either just let the lees dry out so that all of the alcohol had evaporated off or because this was around the time that distillation had arrived, methods were devised to distill the, the lees. And that became kastori shochu. And this was essentially a byproduct. It's sort of the origins of rum, which was originally made from molasses. It's uh, also grappa, right? Grappa sure. uses the, the wine lees to make... Uh, uh, Italian grappa. So this is done elsewhere, but this is unique to Japan, and it's it's from rice cultivation or rice fermentation that becomes uh, kastori shochu. And I really like it because you're using the sake lees after you've distilled. You've got the shochu lees essentially, right? What's what comes out of the still is then used as the fertilizer because you've extracted the alcohol. Uh, so that helps cultivate the rice, which is then used to make sake. And then the leaves from that sake are then, again, used to make shochu and then fertilize the next year's rice harvest. So, you've got this really nice almost circle of life. Yeah. It really is almost like a, almost a zero waste process. Yeah, it is, a, it is a beautiful thing. And, of course, it's something that's born of a time Japan, like everywhere else in the world, 
was not particular or most people were not particularly affluent and they did need to use all of the resources that they had access to. And this, this is, you see this to this day using every single part of the fish or every single part of the, the meat and the bones and the organs and everything. It's, it's so very much a waste, not want not type of mentality. And today the most, at least, I don't know if it's the most common, but a very frequent indication of when you have violated that very necessary environmentally friendly and ecologically significant premise of avoiding motainai, then somebody will spray that word at you. They'll be like, ah, motainai, <laughs> if, you've, if you've done something wasteful, right? We, you know, oh, yeah, sure. You hear that sometimes. It also gets used, the word motainai sometimes gets used for more, less concrete things like wasted talent, for instance, would be mm. called motainai or mm. wasted opportunity is motainai. So there's, it's a kind of a flexible term in that way. But if you're, if you're not distilling the lees of sake, then that's a wasted opportunity. Is it not? I mean, what are you going to do with, I suppose you could get your livestock drunk on it, feed it to them. Sure. Pigs, pigs like a good buzz in the afternoon. And that actually in a uh, little aside there, some shochu distilleries down in Kagoshima, there is uh, residual alcohol in the still a little bit. Sure. A right? little bit, yeah. And so they will actually, some of the shochu makers will sell or I guess give their lees, their shochu lees to the local pig farmers. Because <laughs> yep. pigs they, do like their hooch. They do. And it is nice when the pigs eat those lees because the, especially the sweet potato lees, for instance, because they tend to fall asleep after eating and they don't fight, which is a nice thing. They don't get into pig brawls or whatever they're called. I'm not sure what the preferred nomenclature is for a pig on pig fighting, but yeah, what is that? Um, no maybe that's the the subject of my next bout of research or late night wormhole on the internet. Uh, but I think this is this is something that probably could have started anywhere. And as Stephen indicated before, he said he mentioned grappa and he mentioned other types of alcohol. Of course, rum is made from molasses, which is peeled off of cane juice when it's being processed. So there is very much in the same vein, a tradition in Japan that was established a long time ago. And to this day, it's made all across the country. It is. And that is part of why it's not that pervasive a style because it's made from a waste product. You don't have that much alcohol to extract from these lees. That's true. So there isn't a lot of shochu being made from it. So typically this was just sold in the local community where the brewery existed. And they basically sold it to their neighbors as a cheap form of alcohol for them to enjoy because the sake often, especially in the parts of Japan in which the sake is really popular, that sake was all headed to, to Tokyo or to Osaka, to the big cities, sure. and the locals couldn't really afford it. Right. So, the, the local drink would end up being Kastori Shochu. And unlike some of the other episodes where we've gone through and listed <laughs> dozens of brands, we don't really have a lot to recommend on this show, which we'll get to later. But it's because it's so much of it is hyper-local, and there's just very little production of any specific uh, uh, brand from any specific brewery. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't move around a whole lot, does it? Unless it's, it's a not. really big manufacturer. But, you know, Kastori also has some cultural 
meanings as well. I mean, kasutori, while it sounds like it's a great concept because it's reusing, it's recycling, it's avoiding waste, it also had for a long time some negative undertones, did it not? It did. It was actually in the post-war period, right after World War II, where Japanese were in abject poverty. There were people living in just horrible conditions. You know, Tokyo had essentially been burned to the ground and there was just not ready access to alcohol for for people to consume. And of course, people still want their drinks. And so, this concept of kasutori was always the cheap drink from the countryside. This is what the locals were drinking out in the countryside. And so, this word was applied to cheap drinks in the city. The problem is those cheap drinks in the city were made from God knows what and adulterated God knows how. And there was actually records of uh, essentially a methanol spirit that had been uh, masked with flavorings that killed something like 350 people in Tokyo one year. Oh, lovely. So, the word kasutori got applied to this and all of the other uh, negative aspects of that abject poverty and all of the crime that goes along with it. Huh. So that nobody wanted to drink kasutori shochu because that stuff would kill you. And this went on for decades. It just essentially nobody wanted to drink this anymore. So the word kasutori became kind of a general epithet hurled at anything that was poor, low quality, dangerous, second rate. That's right. That's right. And it really only began to recover as those who remember those post-war years have gotten older and they're not the ones buying drinks anymore. So, finally, you have young people interested in this style of shochu that is made in this avoidance of motai nai style, this, this, uh, this environmentally responsible way. You've, you've made kasutori shochu before. Can you give us an overview of some of the different production methods here? Sure, sure. So, I, I had an opportunity to make kasutori shochu with uh, the Kitaya distillery in Fukuoka down in Yame. And their Nihon no Kokoro is actually the only kasutori shochu currently imported to the United States, to my knowledge. So, I contacted them and asked if I could come and learn to make it. And so, it, we, we figured out the calendar, when was I going to be in Japan that aligned with when they were going to be making it. And I, I spent, I think, three or four days at the distillery. It's a pretty short process. Kitaya makes some really beautiful sake as well. And so, they have uh, ginjo and daiginjo sake leaves that they can use to make their kasutori. And how they do it is a little bit different than the really traditional way. The really traditional way would simply be to rehydrate the lees. So, basically, just mix them up in some water and get those solids back into a more of a slushy state, and then put that in the still and distill it. So, just extract whatever alcohol is there. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the very traditional, well, maybe not the most traditional, but that's a very common old style of doing it. What Kitaya and many of the modern makers are doing is they're, they're rehydrating, but then they're adding fresh yeast and fresh koji rice to a fermentation with those lees. And so, you're actually goosing the fermentation one more time, this is going to give you brighter expressions, right, from the yeast and from the from the fresh uh, koji rice. But it's a very little amount of koji rice that's added, and it's a very short fermentation. It's about a three or four day fermentation before it goes in the still. So, those are the two predominant styles that I'm aware of as far as how you make it. The third style is this old school 
wild style. It's called Sanabudi Shochu. Mm-hmm. And it originated uh, in at least northern Kyushu, possibly Yamaguchi Prefecture out in western Honshu as well. There's some evidence of this being made up there. Sanabudi Shochu is essentially a rice harvest festival shochu. And so what would happen is the local sake breweries would save their lees during the production season. And then the farmers would bring their rice to town and they would um, essentially process the rice to remove all the, all the bran, all the husks, get the rice polished to, to, be, to be able to sell it. And they would have this party where they would take all of the rice bran that was left over and all of these sake lees and they would mix them together because the sake leaves are solid, so if you try to steam that uh, in a in a still, it's not going to do anything. You'd just be burning <laughs> the leaves probably from the heat. And right. so, what they did is they basically created these large. The way I think about it is like a pork bun steamer in a Chinese restaurant in Chinatown. Okay, but they stack the steamers up on top of themselves up, up on top of each other with a condenser on top to catch the alcohol. And they basically mix the rice bran and the lees so that the rice bran creates the gaps, the air space in the, in the lees. And they fill each of the levels of the, of the, these, these oversized wooden pork bun steamers. I just don't know what else to call them, right? It's, it's called a seiro mushi is the name of this, this system. Uh And they force steam up through this thing and they, they collect the sanaburi shochu at, at the top, right? Through the condenser. And this stuff is so wild. Yeah. There's only a couple of distilleries making it now. And then the one here in, in Fukuoka, Mori no Kura, they age it for 13 years before they sell it. <laughs> yeah. Cause why not? Well, no, because it, it's just so funky. It's so funky. Weird. They got to They got to take the edge off. Of they got to let it just rest for a long time. And I think they probably just got tired of letting it rest. And like, all right, 13 sounds like a good number. Let's, let's bottle like, this. That's a great number. Is that lucky? <laughs> and so, so this Sanabori Shochu is just, it's completely different. It's, it's just, um, maybe some of our listeners know Nukazuke. These are rice okay. brand fermented pickles. And you can often like, uh, for example, if you go to Kyoto and you go to that really traditional shopping street where they've got all the traditional fermented foods and that sort of thing, you'll see these buckets of nukazuke sitting out front and you have cucumbers or carrots or daikon or different kinds of vegetables in, in rice bran fermenting. And that's what this tastes like. The, the smell when you're walking by one of those stands, that fermentation, that fermented smell, that's what these... Uh, Sanabori shochus smell like and yeah. taste like. They're wild. Huh. Well, it's important to understand that while Sanabori shochu is not made across the country, Kastori shochu is. And m- many, many sake breweries have a pot still that is used expressly for distilling lees. And they do it because obviously it's it's an extra way to, they can avoid being accused of something that would be multi-nai. And then it's also an extra income generator because shochu is easy. It doesn't have to be refrigerated. People who visit your brewery can buy it, take it home, sip a little bit of it, and then leave it in the dry sink. And it it's fine. They can open it years later because it's a spirit. But there, I don't know what you think, but for me, 
a lot of kastori shochu that up until very recently was made across the country wasn't really done with any real heart. It wasn't really a passion for a lot of these mm -hmm. brewers. Mm -hmm. It really was just a side gig almost. For, and that's a very modern term, I think. Right. It was an afterthought for a lot of them. It really was. Yeah. It really was an afterthought. It was never in the main display in the tasting room. It was always off to the side. It's like, oh, yeah, we do have a couple brands of shochu as well. And and invariably, they're going to be kastori, or if you're lucky, they'll be rice shochu. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was made across, it is made across the country. It's kind of maybe become a little bit less common with the new ways that breweries can sell their lees on. They can be reused in other uh, industries, I guess, in terms of selling it into the cosmetics industry. For in instance, there's a common stereotype that you'll never meet a toji with old, wrinkled, rough, gristled hands because the koji helps to, uh, what's the word? I guess it maintains is maybe a good one. The, the natural or youthful state of the skin. So it's, uh, it's a thing now in cosmetics, SK2 being a, a big purveyor of that story, I think. That's right. And SK2 can charge you, you're, you're going to pay for it. It's not the most expensive cosmetic or skincare regime that you'll find, but it's also not the cheapest. No, no it's not. It, and, and the SK is sake kasu. So kasu is a Japanese word for lees. So they put it right there in the name. Uh, but absolutely, with regard to the Toji's soft hands, I can attest to that. My hands never feel better than when I'm working with Koji. After a few weeks at Yamato Zakura, working with Koji several times a day, my hands are so soft. And we have to remember Koji is a meat tenderizer. <laughs> <laughs> right um and it really you you shake hands with a toji and their hands are just so soft and so there's definitely something there and and of course sake leaves are also very commonly used in cooking uh, and it's it's actually become more of a, a trend for home cooks here in japan to get sake leaves and to do marinades for meats and things like that before you cook them to to make uh make food at home so the the Sake breweries have found these alternate routes to market to sell their lees. And honestly, they can probably sell them for more to uh, SK2 or uh, to the local grocery store without having to do any additional processing. Sure. Uh, rather than taking the time to make uh, kastori shochu. I do remember uh, at one point I heard that there were something like 1,200 or 1,100 uh, shochu distillery licenses in Japan. And when I did the math about how many distilleries were in Kyushu and Okinawa, I was like, that doesn't really add up. And I think I asked somebody from, from JSS, from the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association, one of the staff, and they said, oh, all of the rest of those are making Kostori Shochu. Right. Not all of the rest. There are a few Shochu distilleries in other prefectures, but most of those distilling licenses are essentially being used by sake breweries making Kostori Shochu just so that they don't waste the product. Yeah, and also because not too, too long ago, we're going on maybe about 20 years ago, shochu was absolutely killing it in Japan. And it was a legitimate way for them to make money as well if they were making a honkaku shochu product. But uh, 
Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's talk about flavor and aroma a little bit here. This is being made from sake leaves. Anybody who appreciates sake or who has studied sake is immediately going to think of ginjo ka or ginjo aromas. Some kastori shochu are made from dai ginjo sake leaves, ginjo sake leaves. And that's obviously a, something you can write on the label when you make kastori shochu out of it. And people are going to assume that it has this ginjo aroma. So we're talking the tropical fruit aroma. You got stone fruit. You've got maybe everything from mango to pineapple to uh, apples and, and peaches and pears. You got bubble gum. You got cotton candy. You got some dairy. Maybe all of these things are in play with kastori shochu, depending on what type of lees it's made from and what type of sake, what choices were made by the toji when making the sake beforehand. Mm -hmm. But it is, it is kind of fun. It is. I, I really enjoyed it. Now, something to keep in mind in what Christopher just described, all those light, floral, fruity, bubblegum, tropical aromas, those are all coming through vacuum distillation. Right. So, most... Kasutori Shochu, because you're trying to capture these really light floral aromatic features of the sake, and that's what makes Ginjo and Daiginjo sake so popular, is how light and almost ephemeral they are. And if you distilled that atmospheric, you'd probably just end up with a really chewy rice flavor rather than capturing all those beautiful aromas. And so the, the vacuum distillation lends itself to those expressions and they can be lovely. They're really, really beautiful drinks They're vibrant. So you already talked about the one export brand that you know of. That's right. I guess, I guess there's nothing else, right? It's Nihon no Kokoro from Kitaya here in Fukuoka. And I'm not aware of any other Kastori Shochu that's currently exported, at least to the United States. I think there might be some in Europe, Okay, but I wouldn't even know what the brands are. Again, these are such small production volumes that I could imagine a European or even American importer finding a sake brewery that they respect and saying, we'll just take all of your kastori shochu. Because it's only going to be probably a few thousand liters a year that's going to be produced of any specific style of sake that they're making once you distill it. Um, but there are some made overseas. True. I think there are some, in fact, we know of people doing experiments with it. And I did an experiment actually in Brooklyn. I took the information that I had uh, from working at Kitaya and I worked with uh, Brooklyn Kuda and um, with some of their lees. They just basically, I didn't know what to do with it. So they gave them to, to me and my friend Chuck Malone, who was working at Moto Spirits also in Brooklyn. And we just took the lees and we did this, uh, we goosed it with some more koji uh, added some water, some yeast, did a four-day fermentation, and then we distilled it. But we were using a, an atmospheric still. And that's how I know you don't get those ginjo aromas. <laughs> yeah, you get the steamed rice. You get the steamed rice. And it, it was a really interesting drink. I enjoyed it. Uh, we made extremely yeah, limited good. quantities. But uh, I know that there are some other sake breweries that have been working with distilleries to develop kastori shochu uh, in the U.S., so I think it's available. It's hard to find. I'm not sure that they're always clear on the provenance mm. because I suspect that the rice shochu that was made by St. George Spirits was actually kastori, but that's not explicit in the packaging mm. as far as I'm aware. Huh. 
you know, this, it's also difficult to talk about domestic brands, right? Just because as you said before, they often stay very local. Mm -hmm. They stay in the neighborhoods where they're made. I guess the most well-known is probably Dasai Shouchu. That's gotta be the most well-known at right this now. point, it's at least on social media. Mm -hmm. And then there's also Hakkai-san's uh, Yoroshiku Senman Arubeshi Kastori Shouchu. That's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. And that actually, that, that expression is an old phrase from Chinese meaning, uh, or from China meaning unlimited fortune. And the only reason I bring that up is because I just had a Kastori Shouchu uh, from Saga Prefecture, uh, from Gochoda Distillery, and it was called Kinpei Bai, which does not yeah. sound Japanese at all, right? No. It clearly had packaging intended to sell to Chinese tourists, and but there were no Chinese tourists in Saga because of the, the pandemic. Sure. It had this vibrant red label, this gold leaf, really beautiful packaging. And then all over the box was were phrases or passages out of this really popular Chinese erotic novel. Oh! <laughs> so... That'll turn some heads. Yeah, they were clearly tar targeting uh, the, the the lonely Chinese tourist in, in Saga. But this, the, the juice itself was a really interesting expression. It was actually bottled at 35% alcohol rather than 25, which is more standard. And it turned cloudy when on ice, hmm. which I've never seen that in a shochu before. I, I associate that with the... the uh, Anis spirits from you know uh, from the Mediterranean. Is it Uso? Yep. Am I saying that right? Yep. Okay. Good. Yeah. It, I remember being in Greece and you put ice in your Uso or Uso over ice, and it just turned cloudy all of a sudden. And that's exactly what that shochu did when you put it on ice. Which have you seen that before with shochu? Well, yeah. When you drop it on the floor. Ah, that's true. <laughs> I don't remember what episode that was, but it'll cloud up. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Uh, what else is there? You, you're talking about uh, Saga Prefecture, right? I think there's a couple other places there, right? Sure. So in Saga, actually, Saga is an interesting prefecture. It's it's west of Fukuoka, I guess west southwest of Fukuoka, and there are 22 sake breweries and only 12 shochu distilleries. And so, but several of that is overlap. I think there's only one that's only dedicated to shochu. And all the others are sake breweries who are distilling, often kastori shochu. And a couple that really stand out for me, one is uh, Tenzan, which uh, their sake is available in the U.S. under the Shichita brand. And it's really, really lovely sake. And their shochu is just as good, in my opinion. And yeah. I've talked to their importer about trying to get it over there because people really need to be able to try these beautiful kastori shochus more easily. And then the other is there's this tiny, tiny little distillery. I almost don't want to talk about it because it's so small. <laughs> hmm. um, uh, I know who you're re referencing, I think. Yeah, it's uh, it's Komatsu. Yeah. And they make nothing. I mean, their, their production volume, even of their sake, is so, so limited. And then their kastori shochu is just really, really fun. Yeah, you can't get it. No, I, I've never seen it in Fukuoka, and this is the neighboring prefecture. I cannot get Komatsu's juice unless I go to the brewery. Hmm. So anyway, you started to talk about things that you can't get. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Neener, neener. Um, so how would you drink it? Uh, yeah, for, for me, it, it always plays well on, on the rocks and then with bubbles, I think that's really about, um, the limit, especially because it's so often vacuum distilled. Now I think that the Sanabuti stuff, anything goes right. I think that you could do Oyuwadi, you could do it straight. You could probably make some pretty wild savory cocktails with it. But, um, for most Kastori Shochu, I do think it's it's rocks or bubbles. How about you? You sipping on something, Christopher? Well, oh, yes, of course. And I'm drinking it neat right now. I do have ice available, but I, I do like to try things just just by themselves. And I'm, I'm sipping on Shigemasu, which is another Fukuoka distillery called Takahashi Shoten. And Shigemasu is special. This is a great one. It's made from Dai Ginjo Sake Lees, and the Dai Ginjo is made with Yamada Nishiki, which sake lovers will know is kind of the king of sake rice. And it's incredibly aromatic. I know you love this one too. Are you are you sipping anything? I'm sipping on the same thing. Oh, you were drinking the same thing? Oh <laughs> yeah. well. Imagine yeah. that. Doing that on the rocks. Yeah. Shige Masu is a really, really fantastic kastori shochu it does all of the ginjo notes that we were talking about and i've never seen it outside of fukuoka it's really hard to get the only reason why i have this bottle is because i ordered it online oh i got you yeah i never thought to look there i guess because i can find it in my local bottle shops but i'd never seen it in an izakaya in any other prefecture around kyushu definitely not up in tokyo or osaka but it's a really really nice drink but it's one of these places like you were talking about earlier it's an afterthought for them. I mean, they, they definitely make a good drink, but I don't know how much, I don't know how big a priority it is to them because when you visit them, you've got this massive sake production floor and all of this equipment and they're steaming rice and they're inoculating koji and they're get fermentation tanks and aging tanks everywhere. And you're walking through all of this vast architecture and there's this little door in the back of the brewery and you push it open and there's this tiny little room with this tiny little still and like maybe two or three little fermentation tanks. Yeah. It's, it is it, pretty minimal. It's like, how can my favorite drink from you be made here when you've got all this other equipment outside? And they were like, well, we couldn't make this without all the other equipment. So very true. Yeah. Yeah. They make a beautiful sake and it, and it births a beautiful kastori shochu. Yeah, hopefully we can get it to the state somehow because it's just such a good drink. It really, really is. So this has been pretty involved for a shochu style that is essentially designed to make sure that there's no waste. Uh, any closing thoughts? What percentage of the market is Kastori shochu? It's less than 1%, maybe less it's than... It's got to be far less than 1%. One-tenth of 1%. Yeah. Right? Even it, though it's made by such a wide number, uh, such a large number of companies, per, perhaps it's in terms of the, actually, this is interesting. If you think about how many different businesses have a shochu distilling license and Otsurui or a Honkaku shochu distilling license across the country, number one is probably Kastori in terms of the number of companies making it. I think you're probably right. I never thought about that before. Yeah. And it's just such, it's just dribs and drabs. It's tiny production volume every year for those that have even bothered to continue making it. 
but I'm really hoping it's something that can have a revival because like you said earlier, it does sort of hit this middle ground between sake and shochu. So you can have a drink that appeals to lots of people, hopefully. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you are interested in learning more about Kastori Shochu, you'll definitely want to pick up a copy of Stephen's book, The Complete Guide to Japanese Drinks, which has a very nice overview of Kastori Shochu in the Shochu chapter. It's available on Amazon, of course, as well as through your local bookseller. And if it's not, then please ask them to source it. We'd also like to remind you that we now have our weekly Japan Distilled Show Tuesday live streaming on our Facebook page and then also simultaneously on our YouTube channel. That's 10 a.m. Japan Standard Time every Wednesday morning, which ends up being right now, currently, Tuesday night at 9 p.m. That changes with Daylight Savings, of course, so please uh, check the upcoming events on Facebook and YouTube. You can find me at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and at Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. And for Stephen, Stephen, where can people find you? You can find me at Japan Distilled on both Twitter and Instagram. Please reach out with any questions or feedback about the show. Really appreciate hearing from people. I'd also like to recommend Christopher's book, obviously, The Shochu Handbook, which is available on Amazon. Lots of great information about shochu and kasutori shochu and other styles, of course. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of the Japan Distilled Podcast. We'll be back again soon with more Japanese spirits goodness. Until that time, from both Stephen and I here in Japan to all of you out there, a very hearty and heartfelt kanpai. Kanpai. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled Podcast. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Audio engineering by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please give that a listen as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories. Time